Hey, you, are you a BP super fan? Have you gone way back in the archives in the days when Josh and I sounded like nervous eighth graders presenting in class, staring down at the floor? <laughs> if so, would you want to be put on a short list to join David and I on our live call-in shows? What about exclusive access to new segments and show ideas we're testing? So can you help shape the sound of the show? We're looking for a small group of power users, passionate, raving fans of the show who crave more behind-the-scenes access. And all we want from you is your genuine feedback as we build this show even bigger and better than before. We need about 100 people, so this is going to fill up fast. If you're in, go to biggerpockets.com slash power user to sign up. Again, for exclusive access to new content before it ever sees the light of day, go to biggerpockets.com slash power user. That's biggerpockets.com slash power user. This is the Bigger Pockets podcast show 489. The wealthiest people in the world either make their money through real estate or they hold it in real estate. So it's a very important subject, but a lot of people read about it go to seminars and never take action. So congratulations to you for not only building wealth for yourself, but also doing this podcast and sharing it with other people to encourage them to create a real estate foundation in their, in their portfolio. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everyone? It's Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. Rich Daddy Green. <laughs> What's up, man? How you doing? I'm good. I'm in Maui, checking yep. out the condos that I bought and working with my uh, Maui real estate team while I'm out here. Yeah, that's exciting stuff. I know you've been uh, killing it on that front lately. And speaking of killing it, today's show, our guests, plural, mm -hmm. these two ladies killed it. Uh, they really brought a ton of tremendous amount of value today uh, in something that you might not think is that important for real estate investors necessarily. But trust me when I say like it is vitally important. And so the topic today is like growing and scaling and then selling a business. Now, again, you might be thinking, well, I don't have a business. If you're in real estate, you have a business. Mm -hmm. And the principles we talk about today, specifically, we go through six P's uh, that that the uh, two authors, that Sharon and Michelle, uh, they talk about in the book Exit Rich. So they talk about these six P's. We go through all six of them. Now, if Sharon Lecter, if her name sounds familiar, you've probably seen her name. You've probably read her books before. Uh, she co-authored uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad and like a ton of other books in the Rich Dad, Poor Dad series. So you like, I mean, Sharon was CEO at Rich Dad for a long time. You'll hear more about her story. Uh, but like, she's been a huge influence on millions and millions of people. And she continues to be. So you're going to hear about that today. And uh, her co-author, Michelle, is share. I mean, she's been a, a mergers and acquisitions person forever and has a tremendous amount of business experience. So all that and more to come. But first, let's get to today's quick tip. tip. Today's quick tip, Bigger Pockets webinars. I know this sounds like an advertisement. Maybe it is. But listen, me and David spend a ton of time putting together live trainings each and every week to help people invest in real estate, to help them succeed. Because we remember what it's like to be working jobs we didn't like or be working 100 hours a week uh, to be making other people wealthy. And so we pour our heart and soul into these things and give you guys all the knowledge we can. So we do, again, somebody's doing a webinar every week on Bigger Pockets. I would love if you attended. Just go to biggerpockets.com slash webinar to sign up and you'll learn about a ton of stuff with them. So yeah, but like literally like thousands of people come every single week. So why don't you join them? Biggerpockets.com slash webinars. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. 
There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host. The easiest way to collect rent? RentApp. RentApp is a seamless, secure, free payment tool for small rental property owners like you and me. Built by a team of fintech veterans behind Square and Cash App, RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit rent directly into your account. Landlords love RentApp for its unbeatable convenience. Isn't it time you made rent collection easier? RentApp, the free and easy way to collect rent. Learn more at rent.app landlord. That's rent.app landlord. All right. And I think that's it. We got to get in today's interview with Sharon Lecter and Michelle Seiler Tucker. So we're going to hear about how to exit rich. Let's get to it. All right, Sharon and Michelle, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. It's awesome to have you two here. Well, we're delighted to be here. Thank you so much. Love this group. Thank you. Let's let's jump in and and before we get into the book you guys wrote together, I want to hear more about that today. But I want to get a little bit of background on each of you, uh, on you know what you do in life, what you have done, kind of where your background is, what your expertise is in, and then we'll move over from there. So why don't we start with uh, Sharon? Well, thank you so much. I appreciate both you, David and Brandon. I appreciate both of you. My background, I'm obviously been around a long time. So I started in the accounting field and quickly realized that people didn't have a clue about money and ended up uh, leaving public accounting and starting businesses, started a woman magazine, started a talking children's book industry, grew that around the world. And then uh, my oldest son ended up going to college and getting into college credit card debt. And I was devastated, mm. angry at him, but more angry with myself and realized that we aren't teaching our kids about money in school. And that was December of 1992. And that's when I dedicated the rest of my career to financial literacy and financial education. Fast forward a few years, I wrote a little book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and that started a- Never, ten, heard, never heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> started a 10-year <laughs> um, business with Robert Kiyosaki and I. We were partners. Um, I ran the company as a CEO, but we wrote 15 books together in the Rich Dad series. And then from that, I ended up leaving the Rich Dad organization because we became not so aligned in what we wanted to do with the business. And that's when I actually got the call from the president. President Bush asked me to be on the first president's advisory council for financial wow. literacy. And I served both President Bush and President Obama. A few months later, I got the phone call from the Napoleon Hill Foundation. And we know what was happening to the economy, particularly in real estate in 2008 and 2009. And they asked me to step in and help reinvigorate the teachings of Napoleon Hill. So 
not only did they have the honor of building the world's largest personal finance brand, but then to be asked to stand and step into the world's largest personal development brand. And I've written four books with a foundation, um, Three Feet from Gold, Outwitting the Devil, Think and Grow Rich for Women, and Success in Something Greater. And written 26 books. Number 26 is over my shoulder here called Exit Rich, which I wrote with Michelle Seller Tucker. She's an absolutely world-renowned specialist in mergers and acquisitions and a business broker. And I, this information needs to get out because too many people own a job. They think they own yeah. a business, but they really own a job. So we're very excited yeah. about it. Inc. Magazine has picked it up. It's being published out of their imprint. And I'm a huge proponent of the power of association. And so we're excited to have a new association with the two of you today. So thank you very much. That's awesome. That was like the best uh, explain about yourself I've ever heard. So that was that was phenomenal. Um, before I get to you, Michelle, usually people are like, "Well, I don't know. I, you know, I did this, but yeah, you, man, you, you." I've been awesome. asked that question a few times. I, I can tell you've been asked this. So, and that was the that was the short answer. <laughs> I love it. Well, let me pad your ego a little bit more. So here on the Bigger Pockets podcast, we've interviewed over 400 real estate investors uh, and and business entrepreneurs and, and agents and all sorts of people. And the last question, one of the last questions we ask every single episode is what's your favorite or most impactful real estate related book? And I would say 90 to 95% of everybody we've ever interviewed has said the same book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, or one of them in the series. Yeah, it's it's just been phenomenal. I mean, my life, I would not be sitting here today if I weren't for Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It gave words to like this like feeling in my heart. So I'm uh, I'm super honored. This is this is a big moment for me. Well, so thank, thank you. you. And and yeah. and be strong in your own power. A lot of people read it and did nothing. And so, um, you know, Brandon, that you applied it to your life. I was a real estate investor at 10. I, I used to have to scrub out bathrooms to rental ah. properties my parents owned. So I've lived with real estate and the wealthiest people in the world either make their money through real estate or they hold it in real estate. So it's yeah. a very important subject. But a lot of people read about it, go to seminars and never take action. So congratulations to you for not only building wealth for yourself, but also doing this podcast and sharing it with other people to encourage them to create a real estate foundation in their, in their portfolio. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, uh, Michelle, tell us about yourself. What's your background? Well, after Sharon, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I've always been an entrepreneur. I've owned many different businesses and different verticals. Uh, I did get, I did um, get that three letter word job for corporate America. So I've owned businesses and event space, graphics, technology, medical industry. Um, I did go to work for Xerox. Xerox actually recruited me and um, I was there for about six months and then I was promoted to regional vice president overseeing a hundred um, unruly salespeople and realized very quickly that I didn't like it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and um, I ended up leaving Xerox, starting a franchise uh, consulting development and sales business, ended up partners with several different franchisors. And I had so many buyers asking me for existing businesses because I didn't want to buy franchises. So that's really when I decided to start a little over 20 years ago, started my M&A firm. And we really specialized in selling businesses $10 million and up. 
Um, but I learned, you know, a long time ago, 20 years ago, when I got into this industry, that what Steve Forbes says is true. Eight out of 10 businesses don't sell. 80% yeah. of businesses on the market will never sell. So I learned yeah. a long time ago, if I don't start fixing them, tweaking them, growing them, putting on a build to sell uh, program that, A, I'm going to starve to death <laughs> and a lot of business owners are going to go out of business. And so I specialize in not just selling businesses, but we buy businesses and flip them. I partner with business owners and um, invest my capital resources, core competencies to really grow that business, put them on a build to sell model. So at any given time, I'm five to 10 different companies that we're building to sell. I've personally sold over 500 companies. My firm altogether wow. sold a little over a thousand businesses. And wow. I'm an international speaker. That's where Sharon Lecter and I met years ago at an event and um, have written three books, uh, Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth in 2013, of course, Exit Rich. And then I have a book coming out after Exit Rich um, on acquisitions. Wow. Wow, that was like equally awesome. You guys are so prepared. I got to I got to up my game here when it comes to like <laughs> talking about my history cuz you two just nailed it. All right. So, you mentioned uh Michelle, we'll start there. You mentioned 8 out of 10 businesses don't sell. Mm-hmm. Um so I want to get into this idea of of why they don't. We're talking about a little bit about buying, growing, selling businesses today. But before I even ask that, I'm wondering from the two of you, why should our audience, who are mostly real estate investors, maybe some agents in there, some lenders, but the real estate investing kind of world, why should they care about this topic? They're thinking, well, I don't own, you know, I don't own a Five Guys franchise. I don't own a consulting firm. Why should I care? Well, your real estate investing is a business. And the issue is, are you doing what you need to to create the foundation and strength of your business? So for I always compare a business to to a house, a piece of real estate. You have to go down first to build that foundation. And the house isn't going to sell if it doesn't have an electrical system and a plumbing system. And so understanding that a business needs all of those elements in it as well. And understanding that many people get so excited about their new business. They're out there selling their product and they're making some money, but they haven't taken the time to build the foundation around the business. And, in, and by not doing that, it falters. You can't scale. If you're a real estate investor and you know how to um, buy three twos, after about 10, you probably need to start having some systems on how to manage those and how to grow them. And you've created a way that you review and buy them. And that is your system. So that allows you to go from 10 to 100 to 1,000 or You set that aside and you hire the right people to run that. And now you start looking and investing in multifamily. Those are all business systems that help you build that foundation of your business. And wouldn't it be easier if you decide you want to sell your real estate business to have a big player come in and buy all of it for you at 10x, 100x multiples versus trying to sell them one at a time. And you can do that when you build that foundation around your business. Yeah, that's really good. Um, one, I have a, I have a company, we call it open door capital and we buy mostly mobile home parks. And so when I built that, when I started, cause I, the, some of the best advice I ever got was, you know, build your business as if you're going to sell it someday, whether or not you are or not. Right. Cause then you have the systems in place. So yeah. So I, we're building like a property management company in house alongside all these mobile home parks. We've got over 2000 units now. And we're like, just we're building it. Cause I'm like, even if I don't sell it all someday to one big hedge fund or some, you know, billion dollar company, at least in the meantime, it, I could have that exit option anytime I wanted to, but it's also just makes life so much easier because maybe that, maybe I can ask you this question instead of just giving my opinion on this, but what do you think, what does a buyer, 
look for? When I say it makes it easier to buy, what does that mean? Like, what does a buyer look for when they want to go buy a business? What makes a business valuable that somebody would want to buy it? So there are so many things that make a business viable. Uh, one thing is buyers want to buy a business, not a job. And unfortunately, mm. so many business owners have created a glorified job in which they're going to work it every day versus a business that actually works for them. The number one reason that businesses are not sellable is because the business is a thousand percent dependent upon that owner because like Sharon said, they don't have the systems in place. So you really have to have the people, you have to have the infrastructure, you have to have the processes. We call this building your business to run on all six cylinders. And in other words, all six P's that we describe in our book, Exit Rich. Yeah. The other thing I'd like to add to that is, you know, when you talk about owning a bunch of different mobile home parks, you have a system, you have to have systems for how to manage all those. You have people in your office that are helping you manage it. But if Julie ends up leaving, are you going to be hurt because you, you're dependent on a person, not a system? Yeah. If you create the systems on how it's run, Julie leaves, somebody else sits in the seat and they can pick up and know what to do. It's so much easier to manage a business with systems than manage personalities. And the ability to scale is so much easier when you have strong systems that are that have been proven successful. Yeah. Yeah. But it's always easier to rely on personalities and your yeah. own elbow grease, right? This is the problem that we all run into. Like with my real estate team, it's called the David Green team. Good luck selling that to anybody else that isn't <laughs> named David Green. That's going to be a very tough sell for me, right? But I can sell rental property super easy because somebody else can run it just the same. I'm, I'm curious, Sharon and Michelle, before we move into the six P's, how often is this principle the number one thing that hamstrings a business owner that they've taken shortcuts that they didn't realize they were taking? I think it's an epidemic. Most business owners take shortcuts because as entrepreneurs, we don't want, we're not very good managers. And so that's why the first P, I know you want to get into that later, but the first P is people. Do you have the right mm -hmm. people on your team? Do you have people who are strong where you are weak? And invariably what I see over mentoring thousands of people um, when a business owner gets all excited, they build this business, they get some success, and the entrepreneurial is the innovator. They like to start and create new things. They like drive new results, but they don't like to take care of the day-to-day. -day. And so they try to, but they still try to do everything themselves. It's so important to bring in the right team to make sure that the, the, you have people on your team that are strong where you are weak so that you can continue being the innovator, being the one that's driving the business, and know and trust that you have systems and people in place who thrive in the day-to-day -day management of the company. What have you two found in terms of people? Like what, how do you know you're getting good people? You know, like that's obviously like a huge key to success is getting the right people in the right seat on the bus. So how do you, like, what do you see as like the right people? Is there any secrets that you know or shortcuts or is it just a, a you know, a gamble? There are lots of, obviously there's lots of different personality tests. I actually happen to like the Colby test, K-O-L-B-E, because it um, talks about that difference between the innovator, right? The, the um, quick thinker versus the one that likes facts and figures. And so if you have an element of each on your team, you're going to have the greatest success. But I also think you, 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 when you're hiring somebody, you're investing in them. And so, you know, I always say hire slow, fire fast, mm -hmm. making sure that you understand who they are, what their dreams are, and how that aligns and fits into what you want. Make sure that they understand what your company culture is. 
I have all my business owners that I mentor have a code of conduct, have a, have a, you know, what do you stand for? What's your mission statement? What's your code of conduct? So that when you hire somebody, they're signing off and agreeing with that philosophy and you're building in that culture in your business right up front. And in 10 years, when you want to sell your business, somebody coming and look at it, they're going to go, okay, they got it. They, they started on the right foot with building a culture that was tight and agreed to by all people. How do you to, and maybe I'll fire this one first to Michelle, how do you deal with the fact that you need competent people that are like the best of what they do? This is something I think, David, you probably deal with a lot, which is you train people to be the best really good. And then they leave or they, they could leave, right? Cause you just gave them all your systems and all your everything. But if you don't give them all that instruction, right, then they're going to stay and they're going to be terrible. So how do you balance that of having good people with giving them too much information? I mean, that's a problem with real estate investors all the time. They train people to work for them and they just go do their selves. How do you, how do we avoid that? Yeah. So, you know, it depends on, on what position we're referring to. If we're referring to upper management, you know, most of my companies, we do have them sign non-competes, employment contracts, things of that nature. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, non-competes don't hold up. Well, that's not really true. It depends upon what state you're in. It depends upon how it's written, you know, if it's written correctly, et cetera. But, you know, at some point you got to trust, right? Like Sharon said, you know, you're really going into a marriage here almost. <laughs> and when you hire somebody, uh, you, you're going to have to trust because you have to give them so much information. But we have people sign non-competes. I haven't really had an issue with somebody leaving in all the companies that we've ever had. I don't know, Sharon, have you ever had any problems with this? Well, I love, I love Richard Branson's um, quote. He says, teach people enough so that they can leave. Treat them well enough that they choose not oh, to. That's good. And so that's, you know, it's relating to making, elevating them to the position of highest potential in their world, but giving them enough trust and support and treat them well enough that they they are so happy being with you that they're not going to leave. Um, you can't control individuals. The people have issues at home. They end up moving out of state. You know, there are times when people will leave. The issue is, is, is it going to be one of um, you support them? I celebrate when I have people, because I teach people to be entrepreneurs. And when I have people that have worked with me and they decide they want to start their own business, I'm their first investor. I support mm -hmm. them. I want the baby bird to leave the nest and create success. But when you have a corporate environment and you have very key, key mm -hmm. man positions, it's important to protect yourself and protect that position and to make sure you have a system for monitoring and understanding the content of that individual, if that's some, if it's somebody that you have total reliance on, and everything in life comes back to yeah. communication, having that communication, that ongoing check in, check in with them to make sure everything's okay, because you you'll know if things are habits start changing, and you start seeing a, you know coming a little later. Uh, taking a Friday off when they haven't taken a day off in years. Those are things, you know, you just have to start paying attention to that stuff and, and keep that line of communication open. That's really huge. I think nobody likes meetings, but that's one of, to me, the most important components of a meeting is that I can hear the tone in their voice. I can see their body language. You can catch those micro expressions when you see some, when someone else on the team has a victory and they look angry about it, you'll mm -hmm. notice that in a meeting versus when you've got this, checklist of tasks they're supposed to do and they want to work from home because yeah. everybody wants to work from home, but you don't see the resentment that's building. So I think that that's a super important part. That's when really, really good because you can oftentimes those things will grow into like, like Sharon just mentioned, they're going to leave you 
because of that. But if you nip it in the bud, you can just address it, make a change right off the bat. So well, and gossip, you know, that's the the culture of the company. Gossip can create such yeah. problems within a company and within an organization that's unnecessary stress and worry. And um, every time we have a weekly meeting and the first thing we do is we go in and we do a check-in with everybody. They'll tell us Mm -hmm. if something's happening at home. Um, It's just kind of a normal thing. If we want to know you as a person as well as an employee, which I I hate that word, by the way, I use the word team, but we want to know what's going on, what's what's happening. Let's check in with each Mm -hmm. other um, and then get down to the business of the company. Because if somebody's struggling, um, you know, in the last two weeks, my we almost lost my father-in-law. We've been spending a lot of time out there. So there are other things, you know, it's like, so my mind hasn't been focused as, as dramatically as it normally is, all right? People who know me pick up on that. Same thing in a company where you know the people that are working for you. You can see when there's something yeah. happening. Michelle, anything you want to add on that? Well, I think it's also good, I, you know, depending upon the size of the company, I think it's good to have a liaison you know, um, uh, liaison, a human resources manager. My husband and I own medical clinics and we have a lot of employees. And if it wasn't from that one liaison, that one um, COO basically that reports everything back to my husband and I, Mm. we can't communicate with everybody all the time. You know, it's just impossible. We have multiple locations, but this, she's been with us for 20 years and she's our right-hand person. She's our eyes and ears. I mean, she communicates everything with us. So depending upon the size of your corporation, it might not necessarily be the owner. And the owner is not always right. the best manager, like Sharon said earlier. Um, you know, a lot of times owners don't know how to deal with employees. <laughs> They're not necessarily always the best leaders. So you want to make sure that you have that liaison, that you have that um, chief operating officer or somebody who can, human resources that can work with employees, communicate with employees, and then make sure they communicate that to the owner. I'm going through that right now. Because my husband's like not the best at that. And my husband's like, oh my gosh, the best thing I ever did was getting a liaison to, to help with that. Because he's like, I don't know their name till after they've been here for six months. I go, well, that's not, yeah. that's not good either. We had, <laughs> we had two agents on my team quit. And they gave no indication they were going to quit. They quit out of nowhere. And when I asked them what happened, they said, these buyers are just like draining me of all my energy. They're, they're calling me every single night, all night long. I, nobody was checking in to find out they were going through that. And so they finally hit a point where they just said, I can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And I realized I need exactly what you guys just mentioned. I need a liaison in the office that is talking to my staff and picking up on that. Yeah. So that's what I'm hiring now. It's really important in the real estate industry because you have so many different personalities. If you're doing development, you've got all the tradesmen, you've got you know the the the, the manager that's on site, mm. then you've got the person handling all the ordering, and something doesn't come in, and the, you know it just explodes down the line. And so it's really important. Again, it all comes back to communication, but understanding that each role that's there requires a different set of skills. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when you have a, an owner that's upset that something's not happening right in the house, um, you need somebody that knows how to manage those kinds of temper issues, not somebody that just says, well, just get over right. it. Right. So it's important to have the right people. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I said the owner's not always the best person because the owner's mentality a lot of times will be just deal with it. <laughs> you know, I've had to deal with it to get here. You know, that's a lot of times the owner's mentality, the owner's perspective. So, you do need that person who can be empathetic. Yeah, and the bigger you get, the more you need people. The more you need people, okay. the more complicated and complex your problems become because people are. So the more you need a person to manage those. That's a great point. So the first P here is people. What would the second P be? 
So the second P is is product. And you know, I kind of go when I when I talk about product, I like to give a little history. When I wrote Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth in 2013 and did the research, I learned that 95% of all startups would fail. And we all know that. That's common sense. But then when I did the the research for Exit Rich, I was just flabbergasted because the landscape has changed dramatically. And I showed it to Sharon, and Sharon was like, are you sure? Are you sure? You should research that again. So the business landscape has actually flip-flopped. Now only 30% of startups will go out of business. But out of 27.6 million companies, those businesses, and this is all across every vertical you can imagine, those businesses have been in business for 10 years or longer, 70% of them will go out of business, 70%. You know, you hear about the big public companies all the time, but you don't hear about the private businesses that are exiting poor, selling for pennies on the dollar. And that, and the reason for that, the reason, I mean, don't you guys find that shocking (laughs) that 70% of businesses are going out of business that have been in business 10 years? That's nuts because you think, oh, you've made it over the hump. Mm -hmm. You've got traction. You've been going for five or 10 years. You know, you should be fine. I mean, I would assume it's like 70, 80, 90% are fine for decades longer, but crazy. That's just not the case. Well, and it's flip-flopped, and the reason it's changed is because I always say it's lack of aim, AIM, always innovate and market. You always have to innovate. You always have to market. I mean, look at Toys R Us. Toys R Us went out of business after being in business 75 years. They never really innovated. Blockbuster, you know, they looked at Netflix. They had an opportunity by Netflix. They didn't do anything. And so, so many business owners are going out of business because they stopped innovating. They stopped marketing. So product is a second P. You have to ask yourself, is your industry, your product, your service on the way up or on the way out? You know, real estate right now is on the way up. I mean, it is booming. It is thriving, especially residential real estate. All right. So you got the right product. You got the right right fit there. You got the right people. What else comes next? Well, the third P is processes. Yeah, processes. And that comes back to business systems. You know, and when we talk about a business, I can't believe I haven't used my favorite word yet. Asset. Asset. You know, you're financially free when the income from your assets exceed your monthly expenses. You want your business to be an asset. You don't want to be the asset. You want your business to be an economic engine that works for you. And as we've already shared a little bit already in this interview is the, the importance of business systems, those processes that allow your business to be not just successful, but make it sustainable and scalable so that it can be saleable at some point and have it an independent unit from you. So that if you don't show up, it's not going to hurt business that day. Your business is already thriving and, and moving on its own. Yeah. So what do you say to the business owner who says, I hear you, Sharon, but nobody can do it as good as I can do it? Well, I can tell them that they're not going to reach the success they deserve. And then I'm going to suggest to them that they find a mentor because a mentor is going to help mm. them realize that there's more out there for them. And so many times... We want to hold on to everything and we we have to do it ourselves or we're afraid to delegate. And at, at the end of the day, that means you're not going to grow. You're not going to reach the heights of success that you deserve because you are self-sabotaging. And so that's what I would say to them a little bluntly. But yes, they are self-sabotaging by not building in those systems that can allow their business to thrive with or without them. When is the right time to start putting those systems and processes in place? Like if somebody's just starting the new business, right? Whether it's a real estate thing, they're buying rentals or they're starting a consulting thing. Like, should they wait until they kind of figure everything out or do they, I mean, systems is that day one? Day one. (laughs) From day one, they should start building those processes. 
and procedures from day one, in my opinion. And like Sharon said, you know, you have to let go of that control. You will never grow unless you let go of the control. And entrepreneurs really have to focus on their strengths. We're not good at everything. Let's admit it. You know, we have to focus on our strengths, hire our weaknesses, and otherwise we'll, we'll never grow. And that's the biggest issue. But processes, in my opinion, need to be started from day one. And I think a lot of owners get this wrong. Processes really need to be designed around the customer experience, not right. around the owner's agenda. Can you explain that? So we have to ask ourselves, what do we want our customers to experience? You know, it's kind of like McDonald's. When Did you all watch the movie The Founder based upon the McDonald yeah, Brothers? I did. I haven't. I yes. haven't. You did. Great yep. movie, right? And so back in the 1950s, McDon- I think it was 1950s, McDonald's started McDonald's, but they, they said we want to start a fast food restaurant. We want to design the processes around the customer experience. What do we want our customers to experience? And they said great tasting food that's fast and hot, 30 seconds or less. And remember, they went out to the tennis courts throughout the processes. I mean, even though it was done way back then and it's been tweaked along the way, you can eat at McDonald's anywhere on the road and get the same yeah. experience. The problem is business owners stop asking their clients, what do you want? What do you need? How can I make it easier for you to do business with us? Consumers' buying habits have changed dramatically. And whoever makes it easiest for the consumer to do business with them is a company that's winning. Amazon is winning because you can practically buy a horse on Amazon and have it delivered to your house. I'm going to try days. that. So <laughs> I'm going to try that? that. We'll see if they ship a horse to Hawaii. Yeah, my, daughter, my daughter did the other day. <laughs> she tried. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I think processes are huge, and I really think they need to be designed from the beginning. I mean, do you agree, Sharon? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, it's so much easier to design it right up front than to try and have to go back and untangle the mess. Same thing with attorneys, right? Having the right attorneys help you set yourself up and get these agreements in place. People say, oh, attorneys are too expensive. I go, you know, they're a lot more expensive Mm -hmm. later on when you haven't done it right and you're trying to untangle the messes. So it's a matter of really being um, using that professional mindset to say, I want to build this to be successful. So I'm going to do it right. I'm going to create the system. And you know, the systems that you start off with, as you get bigger, you may have to evolve to larger and more robust systems as part of business. But that's a good thing because that means you're successful. But to start off with, I, I had an interview yesterday and this gal was talking to me about a client of hers, $50 million construction company that had been in business for 20 years had no database. Their customers were in paper <laughs> files and filing cabinets in a separate wow. room. All right. That means they think they have a system. The question is that system isn't very saleable. No, it's not. And an evaluation, I mean, the first thing that we would do is um, do a cost analysis at what it would cost to bring that company up to 2021 <laughs> and deduct that, you know, from the purchase price. We, we just sold a company, a distribution company, same kind of scenario. Everything was on paper. Everything was on Rolodexes. Our entire inventory system was on paper. We're selling a $70 million company right now, 300 employees, and you would think they would have all their processes and policy procedure manuals, SOP checklists together, you think right? think so. <laughs> so we're going with them. Hence, hence the importance of exit rich, because if you follow the process that we outline in exit rich, before you start wanting to sell your company, you will be. So what happens, Michelle? You can jump in here, but you know you you want ten million dollars for your business, and so a purchaser is interested. They come in, right? 
They ask you for your corporate docs. They're not in order. That 10 goes to nine, right? They ask you for the agreements with your vendors, your suppliers. Well, some of them are here. I think I can get them for you. That goes down to eight, right? All of a sudden, you aren't, you're not dressed for the party. And mm-hmm. so you want to create that mm-hmm. foundation yeah. and be prepared have your documents in order, have your valuation, uh, discover that intangible asset, that fourth P is proprietary, your intangible valuation, identify it, protect it, and leverage it. And that's the value that we provide in the book Exit Rich, taking you through this process on how to strengthen the core of your company so that it can grow much more quickly. Yeah, because otherwise it's not going to be sellable. And like Sharon said, we're not going to be able to maximize value or we're going to have to Time out, and <laughs> I have to go in and get everything in working order. Sharon, you mentioned earlier that it seems too expensive to do some of this stuff, and I've noticed that in our companies, one of the biggest enemies to success in the companies I run are when people say, "Well, it was faster just to do it myself." It feels too expensive in the moment to stop and create a procedure and train someone to do it, even if it's as simple as, can I just go to a website and click a button? Yeah. But over 10 years, how many button clicks did you have to do because you didn't want to show somebody else how to do it and make a system? And I think what that does is it turns into having all your files in a filing cabinet 20 years later when you go to sell your business. And now it is very expensive that you didn't systemize it. So I'm constantly having to just be disciplined and say, yes, it would be faster and easier to do it myself. But if I make that decision every time, I never have a business. I always have a job. Is that, in your two opinion, really the genesis of where this problem comes from and what it when it grows into something that's a huge problem when you try to exit? A thousand percent. You ask a business owner, are you unique? Yes, I am. You know, nobody does it the way I do. I, you know, I've got this tremendous. And yeah, so, so where did you get your legal agreements? Oh, I download them off the internet. <laughs> so if you're unique and you're, you're using pedestrian agreements, how unique are you truly? Right. Yeah. So let's take, get the right talent on board that can identify that uniqueness and protect that uniqueness so that you can get the greatest valuation possible. And again, it comes back to that if you're too cheap, to invest in the foundation of your company, you will never reap the rewards of the value that you can create. I was just going to say in the other big issue that I find that really the biggest reason that businesses are not sellable is because all the data is in the owner's head. <laughs> I mean, even this company that we're selling for $70 yeah, million right yeah. now that has 300 employees, buyers are going to buy a percentage of the company because the company still will not operate without that owner. Because so much of the data is in your yep. head. Yep. So you really have to get the data out of your head onto paper. Otherwise, you'll never be able to scale and we won't be able to maximize value. Yeah. Can, can we take a, a, a side detour here real quick and talk about how a company is valuated? Because a lot of our you know audience are the real estate investors. So they think, well, that house is worth what those three houses sold for, right? It's comp based. But that's not quite the same when it comes to buying and selling a business. So maybe Michelle, can you explain like how is a business evaluated? What are multiples? Like how does that whole world work? Absolutely. So um, I'm going to give you a crash course on valuations. Please. (laughs) And then I'm going to take you, Sharon and I will take you in a proprietary because proprietary, all those proprietary assets, those proprietary synergies, they can take you from a five multiple to seven to an eight to 10 and up. So this is a perfect transition (laughs) 
So I always say the companies are under a million dollars in EBITDA. EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. We'll typically trade um, anywhere from one to three, three and a half, depending upon synergies, unless you're in SaaS. SaaS is a multiple of revenues. Now, the sweet spot is when you get your EBITDA over a million dollars. Over a million dollars, we have so many buyers. There's five types of buyers. And over over a million dollars in EBITDA, Typically starts at five and up. Okay. Five and up, dependent upon these synergies, because for five and up, then you got private equity groups that buy based on platforms and add-ons. You got strategic slash competitors that will typically pay the highest multiple because they're buying synergies and they're paying for synergies that not only in that company are they going to catapult their their current company to the next level, like databases and contracts and patents. And then um, the last type of buyer uh, that we talk about is sophisticated entrepreneur. But the synergies, the proprietary assets is what gets you the higher multiple. And this, out of all the P's, to me, is the highest value driver. There are six pillars that I talk about in proprietary. Do you want to go through these? Sure. Let's do it. So number one is branding. You know, I always say the more well-branded you are, the more I can sell your company for as long as your brand is relevant in the mind of the consumers. Is anybody paying any money for Blockbuster? Yeah. Well, I had some friends. We went. Uh, we all went to visit a friend who was running a race in the same town as the last Blockbuster, which I think is Bend, Oregon. And so, I don't know. They went and bought a 20 Blockbuster uh-huh. jumpsuits. So, you know, people are buying something from the last Blockbuster, but that's that's about it. Track suits. But, uh, yeah. Well, branding. So the more well branded you are, the more we can. The most valuable brand in the world. Do you guys know who? The most va- valuable brand in the world is Coca Cola. Maybe Coca Cola's in the top ten. A- Apple, maybe Apple. Mm. Yay! Have you been reading my stuff, <laughs> listening to my podcast? Share <laughs> <laughs> Apple is worth three hundred fifty nine wow. billion dollars. That's just a brand. That's not assets, inventory, real estate, EBITDA, yeah. or anything else. So build your brand, and then trademarks are extremely valuable. You know, trademarks. Your company name, your slogans, your podcast. We have a company that's got 12 different products that has a federal trademark for each product because one product is exclusive to Target, one's exclusive to Walmart. The biggest mistake I see with trademarks, and Sharon can probably speak to this too because her husband, as a bonus, is an intellectual property attorney. Um, But trademarks are huge, and a lot of business owners come up with a name, they go to GoDaddy and they punch in the name and go, okay, I got the .com and then they'll go to their estate, get a state trademark, but then they never check the federal database. So they can be in business 5, 10, 15 years. I see this happen all the time and all of a sudden they receive a cease and desist letter in the mail and they have to stop using that company name. Or you know, they'll, have, they'll hire an attorney, they'll throw a lot of money at it and probably unless they have Michael Lecter, they're probably going to lose. <laughs> And I'll have to start the rebranding process all over again. Do you agree, Sharon? It happens all the time. It happened twice last week with the group that I was with. You know, they got, oh, I got the domain name. Well, have you checked the trademark? And it's really easy. It's not, it's just an easy USPTO.gov. You search trademarks and you can see who has the name. And if somebody owns a name, just find another name, come up with something different. Yeah, I might, I might have that issue in my own. I, I got to look into this and this yeah. is obviously a deeper conversation, but like I have a company called Open Door Capital because I had a company called Open Door Properties and we've been around for, I don't know, 15 years now to have Open Door Properties. Well, there's a massive billion dollar company out there right now called Open Door and they're significantly bigger. Now they started, I looked up their name. They started way after I did. But they've got a lot more money. So I'm assuming at some point 
I'm going to get that letter in the mail. I'm going to have to switch out my company name, even though I, I can say I had it first, right? But I don't know if I ever trademarked it. Well, the question is, did you did you have a protected? I don't think if so. You, you actually, if you started, if you can prove that you were using it first, you probably yeah, should. should, should. <laughs> um, you, you have rights. You have rights of a trademark when you start That's using good. that. If they didn't register it till later, you have rights. But those rights may only be in your geographic area. I am not an attorney for everybody mm-hmm. listening. So do not consider this legal advice. However... Um, you may want to check it out to see what your position is because you may be okay. The question is, do you want to go global? Do you want to go national? That's where you might have some problems. Yeah, that makes sense. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9 to 5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Pretty good little episode, right? While you were listening, you could have been getting paid rent with RentApp. Landlords love RentApp because it makes rent collection a breeze. RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit funds directly into your account. Setup is straightforward for renters, and landlords don't need to download anything. Both have peace of mind with the digital transaction history. Isn't it time you made landlording a little easier? RentApp, the best way to pay or collect rent. Learn more at rent.app landlord. That's rent.app landlord. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. All right. So, branding, one more question on branding. Uh, is it, you know, David mentioned a minute ago, his company is called the David Green Team. David Green, David Green Team. Uh, I got another buddy, his name is Pat Flynn. He has a show called, like, you know, his whole thing is smart passive income with Pat Flynn. Like, it's very tied to his name. How dangerous is that when you're trying to sell a business where it's just really connected to a personality? Well, Tony Robbins, that's <laughs> probably a perfect yeah, that's example, a great example of that. Yep. And he had to do an ESOP. He ended up selling to his employees. Oh, really? T. Harv Eckerd, who, has, who wrote The Millionaire Mindset, um, I think he was able to sell his empire, right, Sharon? Yes, but he because he didn't, it was not called T. Harv Eckerd. It was called... Peak potentials, right? Yeah, you're right. Peak potentials. And that's, you know, I talk about the difference between a mission brand and a celebrity mm-hmm. brand. So a mission brand is what problem do you solve? What what need do you serve? 
when we started the Rich Dad Company, it was you know, our brand we thought was cash flow or board game, but it quickly yep. became Rich Dad. The world knows us as Rich Dad. Um, and seven years into it, Robert decided he wanted to be a celebrity. So it was all about Robert Kiyosaki. And so, but same thing, Tony. Tony could not mm-hmm. sell his company because his name was attached to the company and he would have to go with it. And so when you're building a company, when you think about what you want your exit to be, you want to build that factor in. If your name is tied to it, then you will probably yeah. be tied to the company. It's hard to separate the two if, unless you want to lose your name. And so that's a very important thing to think about as you're building companies. So if you were David Green here, thinking maybe two years, three years, five years down the road, he wants to sell his real estate business, because I mean, it's a, it's a super successful real estate business. What should David start? I mean, do you think David should, like, because right now he needs that name to grow it, but at the same, or he thinks he does, right? Like, I'm curious of what you guys' opinion would be on something like that. Should he start to diversify from that name? I, I, if I was him, I would definitely diversify. There's been su- some success stories like Keller Williams, yeah, yeah. you know, um, Siler Tucker, <laughs> you know, but I, I, we brand, I brand myself, but I also brand my company, yeah. Keller Williams, you know, brands the company, like Sharon said, is it a celebrity brand or is it a professional business brand? But I, I would definitely rebrand at this process. I mean, how long have you been? Yeah, my education, my education company mm-hmm. is Pay Your Family First. And then my my celebrity brand, my speaking and everything is under Sharon Lecter. But, you know, David could easily start um, dropping David and just mm-hmm. have Green as the name actually. of the company. Um, it's a generic really it's a generic enough so that if it wanted to sell at some point, somebody would establish that brand. But it's something it's something to think about as to what you want, where you want to go. Now, in a services company, a lot of times your purchaser is going to be purchasing your contacts, your contracts, your employees, and your database. And so they would have an asset purchase as opposed to the company purchase. So they might not be necessarily buying your logo, but they do want to have your reputation. And so it's very important to think about that in every aspect of what you're building. But I would also add to that and say, you know, 98% of sales are asset sales, um, not stock sales for a multitude of reasons. But most of the time, the buyers want to continue that name. So they'll they'll get their own entity doing business as, and they will continue that name. The only time that we see buyers change names is when we're doing they're doing big roll-ups. Mm, that makes sense. All right. So you were talking proprietary. There was branding was the first one. You said you had six things under that. What were those? The first one was branding. Well, we talked about branding. We talked about okay. trademarks, yep. patents are big. You know, if you've ever watched Shark Tank, they sound like a broken record. <laughs> Do you have a patent on that? Do you have a patent pending? You know, we sold a company for $18 million. It wasn't making much money, but they had 18 patents. So patents are extremely valuable. Does your husband do work with patents, Sharon? Oh, my gosh. Yes. He's internationally known for his patent. He's technology. He's, double, he's an electron, electronic engineer. Um, and patents are the strongest form of protection, they protect your idea. Mm-hmm. Okay, copyrights express, you know, protect the expression of your idea. But somebody can read something that you write and go ahead and make it and do it, and there's there's no um, protection against that. And so, trademark is the source of the goods. So you protect the source of the goods. A copyright protects the expression of what you're writing, and a patent protects why you're doing it and what it does and what it can accomplish. And so that side of it is very, very important. And it's important to do a, 
an entire arsenal of intellectual property, mm-hmm. have the trademarks, have the copyrights, have the patents. And have that IP in a different entity too, right, Sharon? Yes, always in a different entity. In fact, um, I'm, I'm working, doing some projects with Brandon Dawson. He's the equity owner, um, uh, started Cardone Ventures, oh, yep. Grant Cardone. Yep. And he sold his company about seven years ago for $151 million, 77 times EBITDA. Whoa, 77 and, times EBITDA. Um, Whoa. Yes, yes, amazing. And so I had um, known him for years. I've spoken for his organization, and he rolled up a bunch of hearing aid companies, and that's what the, the company was called, Audigy. And he was a big fan of my book, Three Feet from Gold. And I just learned this a couple of weeks ago. I did not know that. He, in my one of my conversations with him, he was telling me about the, this training that he's developed for all his companies within this group, Audigy. And, and I said, are you putting, that's your stuff. This is your knowledge. Are you putting this in a separate entity? And he said, no. And I said, well, you should, because then you can license it back to the company. But that's, you know, that's you. That's what you know. And when he sold the company and that company continues to grow, it's over $4 billion today. And he has a license with them. But now he's able to take that intellectual property and build Cardone Ventures because he's got that technology and the rights wow, to yeah. use it. And um, so it's, it's so important to understand. I have a separate company for my um, for all of my intellectual property outside my financial education company for the same reason. Smart. All right. So um, 77 times EBITDA. That just sounds crazy because like, like, why would somebody is that because there's a competitor that wanted it and they were going to pay way more? I got bid up. I mean, is it that is that why that happens? Well, he wrote it's because of the uh, intrinsic um, value that he was able to roll up across the country. Mm. All of these um, individual mom and pops, um, Audigy <laughs> clinics, and rolled it up, and a big player bought it. And he did very well. And what he did was he actually also, when we go back to that number one people, he made sure every one of his employees got a big reward, and every one of the companies that he rolled up got uh, more than they would have if they tried to sell individually. So, yeah. Well, let me let me just uh, kind of summarize this whole valuation thing for people. You explained it. I just want to make sure I got I got this right. So, Michelle and Sharon, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this. So, let's say a proper or I mean, a business is going to sell for a well, for easy math. Let's just say a ten times multiple, which would be high for most businesses. But let's just say it's a it's a ten x right, not seventy seven. But uh, so <laughs> this company brings in an EBITDA, or like basically profit for simplicity terms. I guess you could maybe say um, of ten million dollars a year. So it brings in 10 million a year and it sells for a 10 X multiple of that. So it sells for a hundred million dollars. So the cool thing about business and why I love this concept of buying and selling businesses, buying or building and then selling businesses is because if you can take that company from $10 million and increase their revenue up to $12 million using the same stuff we're talking about today, the right people and the right processes, or you buy a distressed company that should be worth 10 million, you buy it for five, right? Because they don't have any of the the right things in place. You put it in place and now you take your $10 million thing, turn it to a $12 million a year profit business. And at that same 10 X multiple, now it's worth 120 million, not a hundred million. So an owner could buy a company, right? For a hundred million, I mean, again, there's some complexities here, but you buy it for a hundred, fix it up a little bit, and sell it for 120. That's what when you say flipping businesses, that's what you're getting at, Michelle, right? 
Absolutely. And, you know, here's the bottom line. Valuations are more of an art rather than a science. Yep. Because, you know, again, when we get EBITDA of over $2 million, $3 million, $5 million, private pegs, private equity groups won't even look at platforms unless you have an EBITDA of at least $3 million and up. Yeah. And so we go to market without a price because we know we're going to bring so many buyers to the party that in most cases we're going to create a bidding war. So valuations is an art, not a science, because you really have to look at the synergies and then you have to determine what buyers are willing to pay top dollar for those synergies and outbid everybody else. Because there's a lot of things to take into, you know, into consideration here. Number one is not just the synergies, but economies of scale. A lot of buyers look at a business and go, okay, well, I can take advantage of these economies of scales and decrease overhead, increase EBITDA like that. Also, what can I decrease in infrastructure? We're selling yep. a manufacturing business right now that has a $5 million distribution center. We have another manufacturing, we have a manufacturing buyer that has distribution all over the United States. The first thing they, they're looking at that we knew they were going to look at, that's why we targeted them, is that they're going to take and, and cut that distribution center, decreasing $5 million from operating expense, increasing EBITDA from day one of closing on the sale of the business. So it's all about bringing the right buyers to the table who are willing to pay maximum value for those synergies. Yeah. And that's what we really go into great detail and exit rich. That's cool. That's awesome. And one of the reasons I wanted to stress on this point for a little bit here is because our audience, of course, is a lot of real estate investors. And so, you know, when we're talking about residential property, like I mentioned earlier with like small deals, you know, it's your house is worth what another house is worth. But when you get into the larger stuff, five, 10, 50, 100 unit properties, this is how those deals are evaluated. Now, they don't use the same terminology necessarily. We're not usually talking EBITDA. We're talking cap rates and we're talking NOI, but the concept is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, Open Door Capital, we're we're aiming to buy a billion dollars of mobile home parks over the next seven years. Uh, we should close this year out at, I don't know, 150 million, something like that. So like if we can take a billion dollars of real estate and improve the like the profit that it brings in, the NOI, the net operating income every single year that comes in by decreasing expenses, increasing income, and like you said, the efficiencies, because if we own one mobile home park, you know, this is what it costs to own or manage it, or we own one apartment, this is what it costs. But if we own 50 of them, there's a lot of efficiencies. We can cut down costs. So the idea being, yeah, then we can sell that exactly. billion dollars of real estate for 1.5, 1.6, 1.7 billion dollars because we've now improved the NOI. And then my investors get a huge chunk of that. I get a huge chunk of that. And so like the, the reason I, yeah, it's commercial real estate is business, right? Business, like, which is exciting to me. I love this stuff. I have a very good friend of mine that owns half of Chicago. <laughs> okay. Multifamily. Well, he'll tell you he owns the wrong half, but anyway, <laughs> he owns a lot of multifamily. And, you know, he's the first one. And I said, you have to read Extra Rich because yeah. he does everything himself. You know, yeah. he doesn't have the right people in place. And we've been friends forever. And we've been to different conferences. And sure, you've probably met him. I'm not going to say his name here. But, you know, he doesn't implement any of these things that we're talking about as far as processes (laughs) and people and everything else. He's like, no, Michelle, if I want it done right, I got to do it myself. Uh I'm like, you're never going to be able to maximize value. So, again, he has a business. I mean, he has several multifamilies. I, I forget how many doors he has. But, you know, he needs to start running it as a business. And that he's not doing. Yeah. I'll let me comment on that. Because you're right. He should be doing exactly what you guys are saying. 
Part of what makes real estate so beautiful is you can get away by running it sloppy and terrible <laughs> because there's so many less people involved. Yeah. Real estate is like cheating in business That's because funny. borrowing money is so easy at such low rates. Valuing is incredibly yeah. simple. Yeah. Management, compa- nobody likes property management. Compare that to business management, you'll love it. Yeah. It's not even close. If you look at the 20 agents I have to manage on my real estate team for yeah. the money I get versus the 20 houses that I have. And like, I don't even need one person. I have half a person because yeah. because yeah. the property managers deal with it. Real estate is this amazing sweet spot in business where you can get away without all the same work that we're talking about here. But that that makes it like enticing to cut corners yeah. because you can get away with but it. But so. imagine if you did everything that Sharon and I yes. are talking exactly. about today, everything that we've outlined in Exit Rich, how much more profitable you would be. Oh, and that's you. exactly where I was going with that is that yep. don't don't take that bait. You can get away with it, but it's not good. You should yeah. be running it like a business. You should be making sure you're maximizing rents because that's maximizing uh, profit. If you ran a business, you'd be maximizing your profit for sure. You wouldn't be selling an apple for less than what you could get. But landlords be like, ah, it's fine. I'm doing good enough. I won't raise the rents. And they're not creating systems so that, you know, most of us buy real estate, assuming we're going to hold it forever. But you guys have me thinking, what if I bought real estate with the purpose of exiting into a REIT? Yeah. How would I, what type of property would I buy? Yep. What would a REIT be looking for? Yep. How would I structure this? That is this? exactly how I built Open Door Capital. I was thinking, I'm going to sell this to a REIT or to a hedge fund. What do they want? Well, you're They're going to want systems. They want people. They want. And a REIT's not going to be interested in you if you have yep. even, you know, a million yep. dollars worth of property, $10 million yeah. worth. Of, they're not. But when you're at your $150 yeah. million, they might at least yep. take a call. But when you're at a billion dollar, okay, they're going to say, and if my financials are in order and I have the right people in place and there's systems that they could just grab, plug it in, make it work. They're going to be looking at me if it's all, Oh, like the, remember the dumb and dumber scene where they wrote down the IOUs on the back of napkins of all the money they spent (laughs) from the suitcase, right? That's how a lot of investors run their business. Like here's the one for the Ferrari. You might want to keep that one. It's worth a lot. <laughs> all right, all right. So this is this is awesome. So uh, we don't want to keep you guys all day. So why don't we why don't we wrap up the the rest of the peas so we can get you all out of here today, and of course encourage people to get the book, which we'll talk about more in a moment. But so we covered last thing we talked about proprietary stuff. What comes next on the peas? So um, the fifth mm-hmm. P is patrons, and that's your customer well, base. You know, most businesses follow the eighty twenty rule, where eighty percent of their business comes from twenty percent of their clients. They have customer concentrations to customer diversification. I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. You know, we're selling a, a media company. Yeah. Wow. They have five clients. <laughs> we're wow. selling around 15 million. Five clients, yeah. that's all. But they were catering to casinos. Here's the problem. Problem is they lost two clients. <laughs> they oh. lost two casinos while we were yep. selling them. And our EBITDA, their revenues dropped in half. Their EBITDA dropped even more than that. And, and the big issue is they had to keep the talent for the other three casinos. So they were not sellable anymore. We ended up merging them with another marketing company. So you really want customer diversification. The other thing I see too is a lot of businesses have been in business, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. The customers are aging out (laughs) and the business owners are not innovating and marketing and rich to reach new customers. And the newest, the newer generations don't purchase the same way as baby boomers do. So, you know, it goes back to what do you need? What do you want? How can I make it easier to do business with us? So patrons and then profits, obviously everybody's in business to make money. I always say lack of profits is never the problem. It's always a symptom of not mm. 
operating on one of the five P's. You know, clients come to me all the time and say, Michelle, I have a profit problem. I'm like, no, you have a people problem. No, you have a process problem. (laughs) But lack of profits is never the problem. Please. Yeah, I'd like to talk about patrons just a a, a quick moment because particularly in the real estate industry, my husband and I got involved with EXP um, Realty to help train and get realtors to understand that is a business. They're running a business. You can have transactional revenue commissions, but commissions only go last year to the next commission. Let's build that you know, ongoing passive income stream. But in today's world, all right, particularly in this younger generation, they live, they think their their database is in the sky, in you know, Instagram, yep. Facebook, LinkedIn, Clubhouse. They get so excited because they have all these followers. But you don't own those. They're great to be there. You want to be there. They're lead generations, but Mm -hmm. you have to invite them home to your database, entice them to come back to, you know, top five things to know before you sell your house. Top five things you want to know before buying a house and get them to come and download that so that you have their name so that you can create a relationship, particularly in real estate. Too many real estate agents have transactional mindsets. And so they, you know, they, mm-hmm. somebody buys a house from them and they forget about them. And I go, let's create a relationship with all of them so that you have an ongoing opportunity to maintain contact so that they refer you to someone else so that you, um, they, when they decide to buy an investment property, they're going to call you. And for years, I've always talked about, you know, when real estate agents, um, people want you to cut your fee. Well, as an investor, I pay my agent more than what they're asking. Mm-hmm. Because when they get a good mm-hmm. deal, who do you think they're going to call? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so again, as patrons, having that patronage, that's what that's, all, you know, the loyalty, that relationship with your database. And so you know, there are companies that are sold because of their database. When you've got a competitive company coming in to buy you because they want your customers. Oh, that's huge right now. I mean, the whole big data concept in businesses, isn't that what they're really getting at? Yeah, we didn't get the finished proprietary, so database is in proprietary. Exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like one of those pillars. You know, it's like Facebook paid nineteen billion dollars for WhatsApp, and WhatsApp yeah. was hemorrhaging money, but they had a billion users. So, so databases are huge. We always evaluate databases. Yeah, that's huge. Oh, Brandon, this is this idea of owning your database and actually uh, making it an asset in your business. This is really similar to what you're doing with your text newsletter behind the beard, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. So, so Sharon and Michelle, what I did is, so I have like, you know, a couple, couple, 250,000 followers on Instagram, which is great. Right. And I raised a lot of money over the last couple of years for my real estate business through that. However, like you said, I don't own that. Like I could, I mean, I've heard of people getting their Instagram accounts hacked and then like, Hey, if you don't pay us a million dollars, we're going to delete your account. And then if you don't pay and they delete your account, like I'm like, that would terrify me. And so, yeah, I started a, uh, like a, I, yeah, I could have done an email list and I, I have that as well, but I figured where the world is moving towards. So I started a, a, a text letter, I call it. So they just like, they join this behind the beard newsletter. So every week I text them like five things that I'm learning or buying or doing. And so now I've got this list. I think I have almost, I don't know, 10,000 on that. Those are mine. Like I can communicate to those people. I can talk about what I'm working on. I can raise money. I can build relationships because that's mine. So I would, I would encourage anybody who's in, especially in internet marketing of any kind, like if you have a website, like, yeah, that list is vital. Cause yeah, you don't own, you don't own your social media. 
It's a huge problem for particularly younger people that are starting yeah. businesses. They don't even think yep. about a database because they're so excited yeah. about being, you know, popular in social media. Yeah, I got I got the blue check mark on Instagram. I should be fine until you lose that or until Instagram changes the algorithm. Crazy. Yeah. I've been hacked. I've been hacked uh, on Facebook yeah. twice. Yeah. Well, I lost I lost my personal profile on Facebook. Ooh. It got hacked from somebody in Vietnam. Oh. They took over my business page. Shoot, we were able to get our business page back, but I can never get my profile yeah, that's back. A good, so, it's a good reminder, everyone, to set up two-factor authentication now on all their social media. Most I had that. Media. Did you? you I still, had that. They still got in. Ah, oh, man. They mm-hmm. went in. Somehow, somehow they got in, and they changed my emails and my cell phone oh. out of the account so I could no longer Crazy. access it. Yeah, that it. sucks. Yeah. Crazy. It's a crazy world. So yeah, own that list. Like that's yours of your people, whether you're a real estate investor or a business owner, own that list. That's, that's any business. Yeah. You have to build that yeah. database and don't have Rolodexes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So good. Yeah. Social media is great. You want that, but look at it as yep. lead gen yep. and bring them home, nurture yeah. them home. Really good. Really good stuff. All right. So we covered the last one was profit then, right? Is that, do we hit all the, all the P's there? Yep, profit all six fees. And too many people just focus on the product and the profit and they they don't have the success they deserve because they haven't built the structure of their business. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole reason Michelle and I got together to write Exit Rich to share people the information they need. Just one or two things out of the yeah. book can increase your valuation of your company tenfold. When that's what mm-hmm. we want you to do is to you know invest twenty four bucks for a yeah. book that's gonna help you um, create greater value and longevity and success in yeah. your business. Well, then it can also help you not become part of the 70% statistics that yeah. businesses going out of business and the 80% of businesses that will never sell. Um, there, there were three things that are proprietary. Contracts are extremely valuable. Mm, yeah. Buyers will pay a lot of money for contracts, manufacturing, vendor, distribution, franchisor with franchisees, any type of exclusivity. Obviously, um, client contracts are the most valuable, especially if they have a subscription model with reoccurring revenue. Mm-hmm. The caveat to contracts, the, the mistake that I always see business owners make, because most deals, most sales are asset sales, not stock sales. Yeah. Most sales are asset sales. They never have the two sentence transferability clause in their contract. The so what was that clause? The buyer doesn't agree. The two sentence transferability clause. It says this that contract is, yeah. is transferable. Oh, okay. Basically, like a wholesale deal. Okay, yeah, and yeah, or yeah. a signee. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So the problem is, is that the buyer doesn't agree to a stock sale, and yep. you know, look, I got a client right now that's got five thousand customers. They're not going to go yeah. get five thousand consent to transfer. Yeah, yeah. So you want to make sure you're proactive and put that in language in there. Also, wow. celebrity endorsements are huge. We have a client that has mm. products with Oprah. And strategic will pay a lot more money for celebrity endorsements, especially, you know, I call it digital real estate. Like when you have radio personalities, those celebrity endorsements, they can only endorse one real estate company at a time or one, you know, skincare line or something like that, because otherwise they lose, they lose credibility. So that's like prime real estate. Um, And then e-commerce businesses, any of those top positions on Etsy, Amazon, Mm -hmm. Wayfair, et cetera, strategic will pay a lot of money for that content. Mm -hmm. We're selling a huge educational platform business right now, and they have so much content and so many books in their pipeline. You know, that's worth a lot more money. It's worth a higher multiple. Do you agree, yeah. Sharon? Oh, absolutely. And I think it's you know, it's also very important when you have content that when you're building the value of your company and you're using outside third parties to distribute your content, that you know what you know that little thing on online that says check the box that you agree to our terms and conditions. Yeah. Do something new and different. Read them. 
<laughs> because a lot of times when you read them, that company, you're giving them permission. You're letting them have a perpetual license to your content that they can do whatever they want to with it forever. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And this, we see this time and time again, how many times do you check the box and not read the right. So you have to see what it does you know, what it says and what kind of ownership, because it can impact the value of your company if you've given somebody yeah. else rights to it. And even if you hire people to write content, you want to make sure that you own that content, not the employees, not the interns, not the, you know, freelance writers. Number yeah. one issue in small to medium companies, um, people that are now using Fiverr and outside sources, somebody to do their website, you have to have a work for hire agreement, which says mm-hmm. when I pay for it, I own it. Yeah. Your headshots, big one. A lot of people don't get that kind of it. So you don't really own the headshots. They yep. do. Yeah. And you're restricted to your use. So you, every time we do anything here, every every agreement is, this is mine. I own it when I pay for it. I found that out my first photography like headshot I ever did like 10 years ago. I like posted the picture online later and the photographer reached out and was like, this is a friend too. It was like, hey, just so you know, uh, I own I own that. You're not supposed to post that on, online. I'm like, I hired you for me to do headshots. Like she's like, well, just put my logo on all the all the pictures you put online. I was like, screw that. Like, I'm not going to do that. Like this. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, very good point. Very good point. All right, you two, we got to get, start wrapping things up. So we got the last section of the show here. We call it our famous four. It's the part of the show. We ask the same four questions to every guest every week. And so we're going to throw the first ones at you or all four at you, but I'll start with, why don't I go Michelle, Sharon, each one of these, we'll start with Michelle, then end with Sharon. First question. Is there a habit or a trait that you're currently trying to improve in your own life? Um, working out consistently. <laughs> right. I get up at 4 a.m. I get up at 4 a.m. to work out, and it's sometimes Ooh. I just don't do that. Oh. So doing that consistently. And, no, that's early. Um, what's your What's your go-to workout? What's my go-to workout? The climber, the actual climber, yeah. and I do that. Ah. I do 100 push-ups and 150 squats with weights. Wow. wow. I love it. All right. Sharon, habit or trait that you're working on? Once a quarter, getting to the beach, to the ocean at sunset. That is something that I promised myself a long time ago. And I've been pretty good at it, but not the last couple of years. And you can add in the same thing. Trying, I'm, This is my seventh day getting up to a new exercise routine and a new nutritional plan. So working on that too. All right. Well, come visit me out in Maui. I live out here in Maui, Hawaii. Come visit sometime. We'll, we'll Are you in Maui? Oh my gosh. I am. Yeah. I, yeah. I, invite me. I, I'll be bad. there. It's not bad. You're both in Maui? That's where we are right now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's not bad. <laughs> All right. Question number two. Next question. What is each of your favorite business books? Exit Rich. Can I say that? <laughs> <laughs> you could say it. We'll ask, but we'll ask for another one too. Um, I love, you know, you guys have already said it. I love Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah. I love the original Napoleon Hill Foundation. Um, I also like the one thing by Gary Keller. So I gave you more than one. Sorry. Mm, that's great. Think and Grow Rich, hands down, um, by Napoleon Hill, released in mm-hmm. 1937. It's as, it's as relevant today as it was when he released it. I tell people I read it every year. The book doesn't change, but I do. And every year mm. I find something in there that I don't remember being there the year before. Because yep. it's what I needed at that moment in time. So think and grow rich. And and then I like Dale Carnegie's How to Win and Influence People. So. Oh, yeah. Both. So good. Yeah. By the way, I, I do the same. I read Rich Dad Poor Dad every year and every time. It doesn't change, but I change. So, again, thanks. Mm-hmm. All right. Number three. All right. What are some of your hobbies? 
Well, I love to write. So I write songs and poetry and just anything. I love I love writing. That's one of my biggest hobbies. Travel, friends. Awesome. So my hobby, we have a ranch. It's a guest ranch, cherrycreeklodge.com here in Arizona, three hours outside Phoenix. And so we spend every time we can, we get up there to, we have four new horses, two colts and two fillies that were born the last two months. So that's a pretty big hobby. We have um, fishing, shooting, horseback riding, and all kinds of fun. We do business retreats up there. So that would be it. And reading, I'm an avid reader. So that's definitely a... it's a, it's I'm probably not a hobby. It's an avocation. So. There you go. Very cool. Yeah. Well, that's actually on your website earlier today, Cherry Creek Lodge. And uh, that looks like a lot of fun. So I don't have to come yeah, back. And, and hey, if we sell enough, if y'all sell enough books, you can go there. It's one of our, <laughs> it's one of our book buys. Is it really? That's there. awesome. <laughs> I, I, I've been offering people a, a gift certificate if they sell 10 books or more. So That's awesome. Well, everybody go buy a copy of Exit Rich because I want to go. <laughs> I got a cherry creek lodge. It's great. All right. Last question from me. Uh, what do you think separates successful entrepreneurs from those who give up, fail, or never get started? Obviously, there's a million things, but if you had to really narrow it down to one thing, what separates those from who succeed from those who don't? Gosh, there are there are a million things. The first yeah. thing that comes to my mind is grit. Mm, you know, yeah. just grit, perseverance, mentorship. I know I said more than one. That's good. For me, it's faith faith in yourself, faith in what you're doing, mm. faith that it's needed and necessary. Successful businesses solve a problem or serve a need. And we self-sabotage because we allow fear to paralyze us. And so the, the, if you can learn how to just get rid of the fear, um, Outwitting the Devil Can Help, one of my books with the Napoleon Hill Foundation, yeah. but converting that fear into energy and into faith, faith that what you're doing, when you have faith, you can do anything. I love That's it. Awesome. All right. All right, ladies, where can people find out more about you? Michelle? So for me, my main website is SylerTucker.com. Journey, you want to tell them your main website and then we'll give them information about how they can get extra rich? Sure. You can find me at SharonLector.com and Sharon Lecter everywhere else, LinkedIn, Clubhouse, Instagram, Sharon Lecter. And um, to get the book Exit Rich, you can visit ExitRichBook.com. We'll get you an electronic copy right away. And then when the book is actually released, we'll send you the hard copy. But exitrichbook.com. And in addition, you get all kinds of bonuses when you order the book. Michelle, why don't you share those? Sure. And I was going to say, you can follow me too on social media, Michelle Seller Tucker. <laughs> but um, exitrichbook.com is $24.79, which is less than Amazon. And before June 22nd, which is our official launch date, uh, we'll ship the hardcover to your doorstep, no additional shipping. You'll get a lifetime membership into the Exit Rich Book Club where you get video content where we do deep dives and different strategies and techniques, plus documents like Sharon said, documents to operate your business, documents to sell your business. And then we're also um, giving a 30-day membership, free membership into Club CEOs, which is an entrepreneurship mastermind where we do hot seats Q&As to help build the sustainable, scalable, sellable business. So all of this is at ExitRichBook.com for $24.79, which is less than lunch. Right, gentlemen? I love it. I, I'm such a big believer. Like, like I have this theory in life. If if there's a book that I think maybe I should buy, I buy it no matter what. Because like I've never read a book and had it not give me significantly more value than what I paid for it. Ever. It doesn't matter. I could pay $1,000 for a book. Every book I think I've ever read that's nonfiction anyway, has given me more value than what it costs. So if if this book, if you get one idea or one thing that helps you at any point in the next 70 years of your life, like, is it not worth 25 bucks? 
hundred percent so. So well, and it's so true. And my friend Steve Forbes, his testimonial says it's a gold mine for entrepreneurs because it truly really is. It's amazing. Well, thank you two so much for writing this book and for all the books you guys have written and all the work you've done in the world. It's been phenomenal to have you here today. So thank you. Well, we appreciate you, Brandon and David. Thank you so much for making this opportunity and providing this learning resource. Thank you so much, Brandon and David. We truly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. This is David Green for Brandon. Big or small, he'll read them all. Turner, (laughs) signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.